Good morning, everybody. It's Sunday morning, Christchurch Midrand. It's church at home, and it is so lovely to to be together this morning to worship God and to listen to God from His Word. A couple of things. Uh, if you are new to our service, my name is Martin. I'm the rector of Christchurch Midrand, and uh, a little bit later on, I'll be teaching from Psalm 74, so you may want to turn to that. Uh, which we'll be looking at a little bit later on. Also, just to mention to the teenagers and to the children at 10 o'clock, if you can go onto uh, your cell phone or another tablet or computer, there's there's a talk online um, for the kids and also for the teens, and that'll be at 10 o'clock. So you you are most welcome to leave us at 10 o'clock. We're going to be we're going to be singing. We're going to be praying. We're going to be reading and studying God's Word. Royden's going to give us some family news. So please join in as we worship our Lord, our God, our Savior together. We start our time of song worship together this morning, singing the words of Psalm 67. Let the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad. It reminds us that every good gift that we enjoy comes from our Heavenly Father. And thereafter, we're singing of how Christ is our hope in life and death. He is our confidence. Won't you be encouraged this morning? And let's enjoy this time of praising our Lord together.
Sin and death. 
Church family, I hope you're all well today. My name is Michelle and I will be leading us in prayer. Please bow your heads and join me as I pray the prayer of thanksgiving. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, we humbly thank you for all your gifts so freely given, for life and health and safety, for work and rest and friendship, and for the wonder of creation. We thank you for preserving throughout history a people for yourself. Above all, we praise you for your, our Savior, Jesus Christ, for his death and resurrection, for your life-giving spirit, and the hope of sharing in your glory. Fill our hearts with all joy and peace in believing. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please continue to bow your heads as I continue to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the ability for us to engage in some form so that we may still meaningfully encourage and disciple one another. Lord, I thank you that even in tough times, you continue to pour out your rich blessings and common graces upon us. We thank you for your unchanging nature, Lord, and that you remain the beginning and the end. We thank you that you remain the God that shepherds lost and needy people, the God who is all-knowing and the God who listens to every cry for mercy from the hopeless. We are sorry, Lord, for our ever-wavering nature. Please help us to come to or to continue to trust in you, to turn to you and to glorify you in everything that we say and do. Please help us to guard our hearts, even in times of loneliness and affliction, and to look to you and to look to your word for delight. Please help all your servants, particularly in this time, Lord, to be salt and light. We pray for Martin as he opens up your word today, and we pray we hear your voice through him, and that we hear it with receiving ears and soft hearts. Lord, we pray for your continuous guiding hand upon the leaders in our country. Thank you that there is an apparent focus on the value of people's lives over transient and replaceable things. We pray that this spirit remains prevalent from leadership to administration and organs of state all the way down to ordinary members of society. 
that we all bear in mind the needs of others above our own, especially those in the most need economically, spiritually, mentally and socially. We have just celebrated Freedom Day this past week, Lord, and we just want to thank you that while freedom on earth, across the globe, in Africa and in our country has far to go, you have realized our ultimate freedom when you sent Jesus Christ and liberated us from the shackles of the ultimate assailant sin. For this gift, we are truly, truly thankful. We pray all these things in your wonderful holy name, Lord. Amen. Hello, church family. Good to see you again. Good to be with you in your living room. Uh, just once again, just a, a few things to share with you. Three things that I need to share with you, update you on. The first is, and this is a new development. We're tired of seeing our faces. I'm sure you're tired of seeing our faces. We would love to see your faces. We miss your faces. And so uh, what we're asking for is what we're appealing for is videos. Videos. If you could send in a video just via WhatsApp, uh, you're going to send it to Gareth. His contact details will be in the description notes of this video. You're going to send it to Gareth. You're going to take it landscape, so take it like that. That just makes it a lot easier for us to edit uh, and to package. So you would take a video, and really what we're asking you to do is just give us a little, a short preamble. So you would say this is, uh, you want to you want to share your name in case anyone doesn't know who you are, anyone from the church family, and uh, introduce your household if you're with other people, and say we are thankful for. Right, we are thankful to God for, and it's a one-liner. So it's a short video. It's uh, it's going to encourage us in two ways. We're going to get to see your face, and we're going to get to hear what you're thankful for. So send that through to Gareth. As I said, that his contact details are in the description notes to this video. Please be reminded. This is especially for parents that we are going to take. If you if you send us the video, if you send Gareth the video, we are going to take that as consent to publish the video. So, so parents, if your kids are in that video, by sending the video, we are, you are acknowledging and giving consent to us to publish that video. So just, just from a child protection point of view, we just want to make that very clear. But please get involved. Please send us your videos. You can also send us photographs of, of you, a selfie if it's just you, or of you and your household, photographs watching church at home. So either photograph of you watching church at home, or uh, a video, we are thankful to God for. Second thing, just an update on our response to the poor and the vulnerable. Uh, I shared lots of detail last week. I just wanted to let you know uh, that we are now able to go, we've been able to go slightly further afield. So through our church networks, we've been able to support uh, Godfrey Penduka in Hillbrow. Uh, that's a reach church in Hillbrow. He obviously has connection to a number of vulnerable household, uh, households. And so uh, we've been able to assist him in his um, relief efforts there. And the same with uh, Farai and Rochelle from C4. Uh, it, they have access, they have uh, connection to a an informal settlement in four. So we've been able to support them. Uh, our focus is still Tembisa. Our, the, the bulk of our effort is concentrated in Tembisa. And our focus is still food and masks, uh, but we are just delighted to be able to also help in a small way these other vulnerable communities, and we'll keep looking for those opportunities without losing our central focus on on Timbisa. Uh, final thing just to let you know, just to remind you of each one, reach one, please keep going with that. Please especially consider those people who are single, who have been isolated all this time. Please make sure you reach out to them. And under each one, reach one, 
please make sure you opt in. Opt into a life group. Very, very important. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go back and watch last week's video. But we want to keep on. We want to keep pressing on with each one, reach one. And we want to encourage you to opt into a life group. That's it from me. Enjoy the rest of the service. God bless you all. And we'll be back next Sunday. Take care. Uh, my name is Rufilue Motsuning. I grew up in Katlehong in Johannesburg. I um, grew up with both my parents um, and my two siblings, um, my brothers, um, in a Roman Catholic home. And my father and really the rest of my family practice um, ancestral worship as well. Um, so I grew up thinking that I was Christian my whole life, um, but I wasn't. Um, I basically had an understanding that if I was a really good person, um, I listened to my parents. I was relatively nice and I did what I was told. And um, if I was a good person that I, I and I just, you know, I'm a good girl. I I I was better than most people and you know almost everyone and um so I thought I actually didn't really think about Jesus to be honest I didn't really think about God really I mean I thought about God when I went to church mm. um and the thought that I had about God was the fact that I'm just going to church because that's where God lives um but the rest of my life really was not shaped in any way or form by by anything other than my own views. I never read the Bible until I got saved. Um, unless I wanted to look at something that was, I don't know, I needed it to inspire me or to um, channel my thoughts about something. But generally, I, I didn't really care about God. Um, so I left the Catholic Church uh, when I went to varsity. I was my own person and I just, you know, God was just the person who was supposed to get me through varsity. If I didn't do well, it was God's fault. If I didn't get the bursary that I wanted. So it was basically a very um, give and take kind of relationship. If he gave me things, I was happy with God. If he didn't give me things, you know, he's just the worst person because he has the power to do it and he just won't. So I it was a very resentful and very spoiled brat kind of relationship that I had with God. Um, and I started uh, my work um, career and I um, basically idolized my job and my career. I, you know, I'd always done really well at school and it, my career was just an extension of my, um, my academic life. And that's the only thing that really defined me. Um, and when I didn't do so well and I was struggling and it was really hard, I sunk into a very deep-seated depression and anxiety, panic attacks, um, and I was just really unhappy. And I then, a friend of mine uh, that I worked with uh, invited me to her church, which I now understand to be a prosperity gospel church, where if you tithed and you're a really good person, Jesus loves you, he came and he died for you so that you could be successful and rich and um, and do well in life. And um, that was what Christianity was. And for, I think, eight years of my life, that's what I thought was 
you know, I, I thought I was Christian. I, I, I went to the church religiously. Um, I tithed, I served, I did all manner of things that I thought amounted to Christianity, but I was still the same. I was severely depressed. I was in and out of hospital. I was taking very strong medication for the depression and anxiety. I just couldn't get it together. And I eventually left that church because I wasn't growing in any shape or form. I didn't even know that there's something called the fruit of the spirit. I just sort of, I was myself and I was just sinking into a very deep depression. I was deeply sinful um, and, you know, I just left the church because I just thought it was pointless to go there. Um, and I, I didn't want anything to do with the church um, or God for that matter. Um, until until I left and had a whole year to myself, um, my life changed because I I finally decided that I'm gonna kill myself. Um, there's no point to my life. I had no meaning in my life, um, and I resented God. I really just hated God, and I didn't understand why He wanted me to stay on this world and suffer and go through everything that I was going through and he not saved me from it um and I had done all these things and he's supposed to actually give me the things that I'm asking for because I'd done all the things that I was told I need to do but it just wasn't working out so I just thought he's just a fad or or, or maybe just really didn't love me essentially I just thought he hated me and I hated him so it was a mutually understandable kind of relationship um, until one day a friend of mine told me how I needed to stop focusing on being here and being successful here and being happy in this world and stop listening to these preachers that I used to really love um, that are basically prosperity gospel preachers that you know never teach the gospel um, at all. And one day I listened to a short 16-minute um, video clip by Paul Washer and David Wilkinson. Mm -hmm. And it was, just, it was basically an exposition of the prosperity gospel. And it was just mind-blowing. And from that time, um, I started, you know, really considering what I really thought about Jesus, what I really thought about God. Mm -hmm. But I had made the determination that I was going to die. Um, basically, everything was falling apart in my life. And on one night, I remember I asked God to please take my life because I, I couldn't take my life because I was afraid of hell. But I also didn't want to be here. And I, I begged him, I literally begged him to take my life because I couldn't live this life any longer. And my belief and my firm belief is that God really did take my life. Um, and... Um, he really did. He took it. Um, and we went to the cross together. And I saw him and I heard the gospel one day that it doesn't matter what I do. I'll never be able to make up for for anything. I'll never be able to stand before God on my own. I needed somebody who was perfect because there's only one person who's ever lived in this world who was perfect, who met every standard of God, who met every law from inception. He wasn't sinful. Whereas even if I had not even committed one sin my entire life, the mere fact of being born would have disqualified me from standing before God. Um, but I understood that there was someone who came 
and that someone was God through his son. He came and he died on the cross um, and took my all my sinfulness onto himself and God punished him and he experienced the wrath that I was meant to experience and he died on the cross for my sin and he says if I believed in him as my Lord and my Savior, um, he he will be my advocate. He will stand before me in front of God and through him I can enter heaven and be with God and spend all eternity in the new earth and the new heaven with God on the basis of his righteousness and not my own and nothing I can do can ever add no works, no goodness, no tithing, no church attendance, no serving. No, I, I can't do anything to ever earn the right to be in front of God um, and I I got adopted by, by God. I became a child of God. Um, you know, and it's... And God healed a lot of things in my life from just telling me the truth about just who he is. And I, my biggest thing that's happened is, you know, it's the spiritual healing that God provided me. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, his the riches that Jesus brought was the riches of his righteousness, of his glory, um, and not the right, the riches of this world, you know, um, what's important is, is our salvation and our relationship and our walk with God. And I just look forward to, to the day when we get to walk together again in the garden, you know, that's just what keeps me going. I live for him. I serve him because I love him. I do good works to show and express my faith and belief in him and not to gain any kind of um, passage to heaven or to God, but as an expression of my love and devotion for him. And I just, I, I'm, I'm finally okay. Like everything that I thought was wrong about me is not wrong, you know, um, because he made it right. You know, it's not in me necessarily, but it's in Jesus that I'm right. So um, I'm not depressed. <laughs> Because there's nothing to be depressed about, you know. Um, everything that I believed was a lie and Jesus told me the truth. He told me the truth and because he's God, I can believe him. He's the most believable person and it doesn't matter what I think or anyone else says or thinks about me. What he says and thinks about me is the most important thing. So I'm I'm set free on so many levels. So I'm, I'm really... Yeah. I'm happy to be a child of God. And I can say that with confidence because it's on Jesus, it's not on me. Um, so I think that's just my journey with God, basically. Well, it's uh, for me, baptism is really more of a symbolic um, act um, that s symbolizes the fact that I've died, buried, and raised again in the spirit with, with God, with Jesus. Um, and also he commands us in, in Matthew 28 that, um, you know, we tell people about him, we make disciples, we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. and also teach them his command, um, teach the disciples his commandments. So for me, it's, it's, a, it's a symbol, it's almost like a public... Um, acknowledgement and declaration for me that I have been um, I've died and I've, I've been buried and I've been raised again in Jesus hmm. um, and my salvation obviously um, 
happened at that time. And I continued to believe in Jesus and I continued to repent and I continued to rely on God. But for me, like I'm saying, it's a very symbolic um, act to say that, um, to express what's already happened in the spirit. Um, so that's, that's, that's what's exciting for me about getting baptized. It's like I'm, you know. <laughs> Let me just quickly remind you again of um, your giving to God's work here at Christchurch Midrand. Um, you know the various methods we have, and they on the website, the EFT, the Snapchat. Um, the reason we give to God's work is to thank God for his good goodness to us, his grace towards us. And we give to thank him and for that same gospel that changed our lives to be able to change other people's lives. Even though we are in lockdown, our fixed costs for the church continue as before. Our staffing costs continue as before. That's probably over 90% of uh, our expenditure. So uh, we really, really do value your, your generous giving, your faithful giving, your committed um, regular monthly giving to God's work. So thank you for, thank you for all of those who have been giving for many, many years. And um, may I just ask you that we continue doing that so that the work of God can continue to grow, both at Christ Church Midrand and beyond. God bless you. Our Bible reading today is Psalm 74. Psalm 74 from verse 1. O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your inheritance. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. And all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire they profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. We do not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none amongst us who knows how long. How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garments and destroy them. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divide the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of the Leviathan. You gave him his food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs and a foolish people reviles your name. Do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beasts. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant, for the dark places of the land are full with the inhabitants of violence. 
Let not the downtrodden turn back in shame. Let the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. We come now to God's Word, so you may want to take your Bible or um, get your cell phone. Let's turn to Psalm 74. And um, just before um, we dig in just a couple of things, it's just to, just to thank everybody who's been uh, doing each one reach one. Thank you so much. It's been amazing hearing uh, all the people making an effort to reach out to other people. Thank you to all of those who are helping to uh, provide food parcels and masks and uh, support, financial support uh, for those who are in need. We really, really do appreciate that so much. Um, I need to thank the team who uh, are behind the scenes. Now, this the service takes about an hour or an hour, 15 minutes. Depends on how long the preacher preaches. Um, but you need to know that, that there's a team behind the scenes and they it takes them about 50 to 100 hours to put together this service, man hours. And uh, I do want to thank them so much for all the work they do. Uh, in particular, I want to thank, thank uh, Bronwyn and Ryan and Brendan and Mathieu and Black and Daniel and Gareth uh, for all they do to, um, to make this service possible and for all the work that they have done. Just a couple of uh, sort of uh, general comments. Um, uh, to my knowledge, there's no one in our church family who has been infected by the virus, so we can give thanks for that. But let's pray for others who may be, may be infected or who may be, uh, may be grieving. Um, just so that you know, I'm at home, of course. Uh, Jean and I and Jean's mother stays here. Our girls are in Cape Town. And uh, God has been good to us. We blessed. Um, and um, for your interest, I've been I've been running every day around the garden. I do about five kilometers. Uh, it's about forty fifty laps. Um, sometimes I only get to it at night. So uh, there's this old man running around his garden with a torch. Um, it would be it would almost be uh, be comical, wouldn't it? Um, We've been dealing with a series in the Psalms. So two weeks back, Eddie dealt with uh, Psalm uh, 1 and 2 um, in Book 1 of the Psalms. And then uh, last week, David dealt with uh, Psalm 42 and 43, which uh, was the start of Book 2. And uh, this week, I'm ending off the short series, uh, looking at Psalm 74 um, in, uh, in Book 3 of the Psalms. And then next week... Uh, we're starting a new series in the book of Hebrews, and uh, I'll be uh, unpacking Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. So you may want to read that uh, before next Sunday, and we'll be looking at that next Sunday, God willing. Let me pray, and uh, so I really do need to pray. I'm recording this on, on uh, Wednesday. It's, uh, it's uh, 1 o'clock Wednesday, and uh, you need to know I normally... Uh, in terms of my sermons, I normally read the passage I'm going to preach on the Monday, and I read it through a couple of times so I can mull it around uh, that week, but I normally only get to it Friday night, Saturday morning. And so I normally spend my, my Saturdays uh, preparing a sermon, 
and uh, not sure what you do. That's that's what I do on Saturday Saturdays. Um, so it's Wednesday. So it's been a bit of a scramble, and uh, I hope I can make sense of the psalm, and uh, that it will uh, be of benefit to you as we read God's word together. But let me pray that God will help me and help you, and uh, pray that God's Spirit will make his word clear to us, and that we may meet with a living God as we read his word. So let me pray, and then we'll dig in straight away. Father, we come to you this morning and we do pray that you may still our hearts and our minds. We pray that you may take away all the clutter, all the voices, all the concerns, that we may hear your voice. We do pray for that, Lord. We need to hear God's voice. We need a word from God in these times. And we pray that you will quieten our hearts, our minds, you will open our ears, that we may, from your word, hear your voice, and be convicted, be comforted, and above all, be drawn closer to Christ. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. All right, Psalm 74. You'll notice uh, that it's called called a mascal. Now, mascal is a uh, means that it's a musical term, or it could even be a musical genre. So, this would have been a psalm that is sung uh, in the temple, uh, and uh, mascal would have been a musical genre. Could have been jazz. Could have been hip hop. Hip hop could have been classical. Could have been uh, rap. Um, Asaph, uh, it's both a proper noun, but it's also a title. So it was used of temple singers uh, in the temple. Um, so this is written by somebody like, like Bronwyn or, or Eleanor or Black, and uh, it's to be sung. Uh, and uh, um, for your benefit, I won't be singing it, and uh, everyone will be most thankful. What we have in the psalm is actually a prayer. So notice there verse 1. The author writes, O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? So here we we have a prayer. The prayer is put to song. And it's a prayer in the midst of crisis. It's the prayer in the midst of, of conflict, of confusion. Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? So one almost imagines uh, the sheep in the pasture, but there's a fire. Uh, The grass is on fire, and so there's smoke. And uh, that's the image that the psalmist gives us of his context. Uh, There's there's confusion, there's crisis. And so what we have here is a lament. It's It's a community lament. Because they're in the midst of confusion, crisis, and so they cry to God, and they pray to God. We know that it's a a believer who is praying. Uh, Notice there in verse 2, remember your congregation which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed 
to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion where you have dealt. So who we who is who is who is speaking here, who is singing here? It's an Old Testament believer. Um, who knows that uh, that he's been redeemed, who knows that he's been purchased, who knows that he's dwelt in the presence of God on Mount Zion. Now, as in all the Psalms, uh, we have here a prayer. And uh, it's both content and method. So there's great value in the Psalms, as I've often taught you. Uh, there's content because we can pray these prayers. We can use the words of the Psalms to pray for ourselves. But they also give us a method. They tell us how we pray and how we should pray as believers. So as we go through the Psalm, think of both those aspects, both content and, uh, and method. And uh, I'll pick up some of that as we work through the passage. Well, as per normal, as per any good sermon, there are three points. And uh, we'll have a look at uh, three points, Asaph's prayer, and that's going to take almost uh, all the time, most of the time. Uh, it's his original prayer. We need to understand the background, the context. Uh, then I want to have a look at Jesus' prayer. How would Jesus have used this prayer? Uh, what is the connection between this psalm and Jesus? And then uh, lastly, hopefully we'll have time at the end, perhaps we won't, uh, we'll look at our prayer. Um, how we can use this prayer today. And uh, as per normal, the first point is by far the longest. So let's have a look at Asaph's prayer. Let me read once again verse 1 to 3. O God, O God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Now we know that the background to the psalm was the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C when Nebuchadnezzar, who was the emperor of the uh, Babylonian Empire, uh, finally uh, defeated Israel and finally um, conquered Jerusalem. And so you have the fall of Jerusalem in 587. Let's quickly have a look at that because it gives us the background. Two Kings, turn to 2 Kings chapter 25. 2 Kings 25 from verse 8. So here's the background, here's the historical background to Psalm 74. It's the fall of Jerusalem, of the temple. Um, and the author is obviously writing 10, 20, 30 years later, uh, lamenting not only on the fall of Jerusalem, but that the nation of Israel has gone into exile. They've been taken into exile by, by the Babylonians. 2 Kings 25, here we have the historical background. Let me read from uh, verse verse 8. In the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, that was the nineteenth year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he burned the house of the Lord, and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burnt down. And all the army of the Chaldeans, that's the Babylonians, who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. 
And the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon, together with the rest of the multitude, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, carried into exile. But the captain of the guard left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. And the pillars of bronze that were in the house of the Lord, and the stands and the bronze sea that was in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried the bronze to Babylon, and so on. So here we have a psalm which is in confusion. The psalmist is in confusion. The psalmist is in crisis. The psalmist thinks back of the destruction of Israel, the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. And in particular, his heart is broken because of the destruction of the temple, which we've just read, just read about. And he gives us some detail there from verse 4. He describes what has happened in his prayer. He tells God what has happened. He tells God how the temple was destroyed. Let me read from verse 4 to 9. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They have set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing swing axes in a forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatchets and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, We will utterly subdue them. They burnt all the meeting places of God in the land. We did not see our signs. There is no longer any prophet, and there is none among us who knows how long. So the psalmist describes what happened, the, 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 uh, the war cries, the, the, the swinging axes, uh, the torches burning, uh, every vestige of worship, the, the altars, the, the places of sacrifice, the instruments of sacrifice, all the signs of God's holiness, God's presence has been, has been destroyed. Even worse, verse 9, uh, there's, no, there's no prophet, there's no, there's no messenger from God. They've all been destroyed, they're all in exile. There's only silence. Uh, there are no signs of God. So it's a picture of, of destruction. If you were to stand, if you were to make a movie, I think you'd, you'd uh, have the camera some way off and on the horizon you'd see... Uh, this this uh, the city destroyed uh, with uh, with with smoke and with with fire and with the smell of of burnt flesh and of rotting bodies and of sewage. Uh, it's a it's a it's a tragic, pathetic, um, desperate picture uh, of what has happened to to Israel, to Jerusalem, to, to the temple. Remember, the temple symbolized the presence of God. And that's been destroyed. Now, a question one may ask as you look at this passage, especially there, verse 4 to 9, where, the, where, where Asaph describes to God in, in great detail um, what has happened. So... So a good question as you read this is, I mean, why does he do that? I mean, surely God knows. I mean, it's not as if, it's, it's, it's not as if God needs information. It's, it's not as if you have to say, Lord, doubtless you, you saw on BBC News this morning. Uh, 
No, our God knows all things. He knows the beginning from the end. Um, well, you see, it's a, it's a key for us that our relationship with God is, is that of a father and a child, a son and a daughter. Remember, some of you have young children, and it's been tough these five weeks. Those of you with babies and, and young children, I admire you that you've survived. I hope you survive. It's been tough. And uh, you know when, you're, when, you, when you watch your child and your child falls, and perhaps falls quite badly, and, and, is, and is wailing and crying, and uh, runs into your arms. And and quite often you will you will say to your child, tell tell daddy what happened. Well, of course you know what happens. But part of the relationship is where the child then tells daddy what happened. Well, that's what's happening here. There's a relationship of a child with his or her father, and we sharing our pain, our anguish, our our hurt with God. Um, Psalmist had two questions that um, that mystified him. Uh, he was mystified by two questions. Uh, they were kind of ringing in his ears. The one question, which 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 is well, both of them actually are the questions we normally ask in these kind of contexts or situations. The one is why. Why did you let this happen? Verse one: Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? And that's the question of a believer, both then and now, isn't it? We do ask God why. Why has this happened? Why did it happen? have to happen in this way? Um, the second thing that mystifies him is, for how long? For how long must we live in this hole? Um... Verse 1, O God, why do you cast us off forever? Is it going to be forever, Lord? In the verse 9, who knows how long? Verse 10, again, how long, O God, is the foe to scoff, is the enemy to revile your name forever? Verse 11, why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? So, it tells us that, that Asaph is totally mystified at how God works. He, he has no idea. He's a child of God. She's a child of God. This absolute uh, catastrophe has happened. I was trying to imagine what, what, what would be similar in our context to the disaster that the psalmist is, is going through. Imagine if our country was invaded. Uh, not sure who would invade us, but imagine if we were invaded by an invading army, perhaps from from uh, from China or uh, perhaps Donald, uh, perhaps uh, um, perhaps the Zimbos. Uh, um, we love you, Zimbos. Um, but imagine we're invaded. Parliament in Cape Town is destroyed. The Union Buildings in Pretoria is is uh, is burned to the ground. Uh, all the CBDs in in Joburg, in Santon, in Cape Town are are smashed. Or perhaps it's a perhaps it's an invading virus, uh, unseen, invisible. 
everywhere. In houses, in schools, in police stations, in hospitals, in taxis. It's everywhere. That that's I think what the what the psalmist is going through. And the psalmist is saying, Why? Why have you let this happen? And Lord, for how long is it gonna go on for? I've often taught you from the Psalms that one of the distinctions, differences between us and the psalmist so often is that when we go through times of anguish and distress and depression and uh, we too often clam up when it comes to God. We just keep silent, we clam up, we keep our distance. The psalmist goes through the same emotions, the same struggles. The psalmist goes through exactly the same things we go through. The difference is, is that the psalmist tells God. The psalmist talks to God. The, the psalmist shares his, his anguish, his lament, his struggle, his frustration, his anguish, his depression. I've showed you on numerous occasions, but let's have a look at it again. Once again, the honesty of the psalmist. So once again, what we have here is not just content, we have method. The psalmist is teaching us how we should pray. Part of prayer is being honest with God. So let's look again. We've, we've looked at this before, but we need to be reminded of these things, don't we? Psalm, just notice the honesty of the psalmist. Psalm 6 verse 1. Psalm 6 verse 1. Have you got it there? O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Lord, how long? Have a look at Psalm, uh, Psalm 10. Uh, same idea. Psalm 10 verse 1. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. Lord, where are you? When I'm in trouble, where, where are you? Are you playing hide and seek? Are you, are you absent without leave? Have a look at uh, Psalm 13. Same thing. It's even stronger. Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Yo, what honesty. It's extraordinary. This is in the Bible. God determined, God wanted these prayers in the Bible to show us what real prayer is. He wanted us to learn. This is what prayer is. This is how you pray. You're honest with God. You tell him what you're thinking. You're telling him your, your struggles. It's okay to weep. It's okay to lament. It's okay to cry out in anger and frustration and despair. He's your heavenly father. Tell me what happened, he says. Remember that lovely quote by C.S. Lewis. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called A Grief Observed when he was grieving the death of his wife. I've read this before, but it's so appropriate, isn't it? Listen to what C.S. Lewis says. He's, he's grieving the death of his wife. 
And um, he says, meanwhile, where is God? This is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interruption, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will find, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face, and the sound of bolting, and double bolting on the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. End of quote. If you've gone through grief, or if you're going through grief right now, you will know exactly what C.S. Lewis is talking about. The psalmist knew what C.S. Lewis is talking about. That is real prayer. Notice, however, that the psalmist does find comfort. So let's have a look at this. Let's have a look at the comfort that the psalmist finds. And he finds it in three ways. He finds it by looking up, by looking back, and by looking forward. So let's quickly have a look at that. Where does he find his comfort? Well, first of all, he looks up. And, uh, and, and the first note of that is in verse 1. Oh, God. Oh God, why do you cast us off forever? So the psalmist has a pretty good grip on the sovereignty of God. He understands that the immediate cause of their suffering is the Babylonians. But he knows that the ultimate cause is God. Now that sounds quite strange, doesn't it? But the Bible is quite clear. God is not the source of sin or evil. But God is not trumped by sin or evil. God will use sin and evil for his ultimate sovereign purposes. And so the psalmist looks up and in the midst of the chaos and the crisis and the confusion and his tears and his anguish, he looks up and he understands God is sovereign. God is in control. God will see that his purposes are accomplished. God knows what he's doing. You see, when we're in a deep hole, my dear friends, the answer is not to look within yourself. That's the, that's the last place you must go. Don't look within yourself. It's most depressing. It's pretty dark. No, you look up. You look outside yourself. You look at God. You look at the doctrine of God. You look at the knowledge of God. Paul tells us, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things, and we know that all things work together for good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do we understand that? Well, of course we don't. But we do know that God is sovereign. We do know that God is in control. We do know that God's purposes will not be thwarted. See, on Good Friday, it was pretty dark. It doesn't seem as if God's purposes would be accomplished. Good Saturday, it didn't seem as if God's purposes would be accomplished. No, we had to wait till Easter Sunday. All things work together for good. 
He looks up. He looks at the nature of God, the person of God, the character of God, the doctrine of God. That is where our comfort is found. It's not found in ourselves. He looks back, verse 12 to 17. Have a look at verse 12 to 17. So he looks back at two things. He looks back at the Exodus with Moses taking the nation of Israel out of slavery through the wilderness into the promised land. So there are poetic allusions to the Exodus in verse 12 to 15. And then he looks at creation in verse 16 and 17. So let's have a look. Where does the psalmist find comfort? He finds comfort by looking up and then secondly by looking back. Yet God, my King, is from of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Lephiathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. So what is quite important here are the pronouns. So in verse 4 to, 4 to, um, 4 to 8, notice verse 4, he's talking about God's foes, God's enemies. And uh, the pronoun they comes up over and over again. They were like those, verse 5. Verse 7, they set your sanctuary, they profaned. Verse 8, they said to themselves. Verse 8 again, they burned. There's the enemies of God. But now verse 12 to 17, notice how the pronoun changes from they to you. Yet God, my king, is from old. Verse 13, you divided the sea, thinking there of the exodus, of the parting of the Red Sea. You destroyed Egypt. You broke the heads of the sea monsters. You crushed the heads of Lephiathan. You gave him as food. You split open the springs and brooks. Remember how Moses struck the rock and there was water to provide water for God's people. And then you'll notice from verse 16 that uh, the author, having talked about the Exodus, now talks about creation. So he says, look back, not only at the Exodus, but look at God's creative act in creating this world, creating the universe. It is God who has established the structure, verse 16, of day and night. It's God who has given us the moon and the stars and the sun at night. It is God who has given us boundaries on the earth. It is God who has determined um, the seasons. He has made summer and winter. So what is the author doing here? He's reminding, he's reminding himself and he's reminding his listeners in the midst of turmoil and tragedy and crisis, their comfort is found when they look up at God and when they look back at the acts of God, how God has acted in the past. God acted by rescuing his people in the Exodus. He is the God of redemption. But even before that, God acted in creating this world. He created this world. He sustains this world. He's the God of redemption and he's the God of creation. And so there's great comfort when we look back at who is the God who holds us in the palm of his hand. 
Well, he's the God who redeems his people, just as he did with Moses in the Exodus. He's the God who created all things, who sustains all things. You know, when you're going through a difficult time, it's good to go out at night when there's no clouds. And look at the stars. Look at the moon. Look at a sunset. Look at a sunrise. And despite the chaos that may be going on around you or in your own heart, in your own mind, you see the stability of creation, which of course points us to the stability and security of a creator. We look up and we remember who's in control. We look back and we remember the God that we worship, even in the smoke and the ruins that we find ourselves in, says the psalmist. In the, even in the midst of all this, we remember he's the God of redemption. He's the God of creation. Second point, very quickly. I think this is a kind of psalm that points us to Christ and the cross. If you have a look at Psalm 74 verse 1, is that not a cry that Jesus would have, would have used, would have thought of as, as he hung on the cross? Oh God, why do you cast me off forever? Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 4 to 8 is a destruction of the temple. Now, you may know that the temple was a symbol of the presence of God. And when Jesus came, he said, you no longer need a temple. You no longer need a tabernacle because I am the symbol of God. I am the presence of God. I am God myself. And yet, even that temple of Jesus was under great duress on the cross. You see, Jesus actually is the one who fulfills the covenant, verse 20. Jesus is the one who is the fulfillment of God's great promise that I will have a people for myself. You will be my people and I will be your God and I will dwell among you and I will bless you. And Jesus this psalm is fulfilled in Jesus. God's name is rescued in Jesus. God's cause is rescued in Jesus. God's covenant is fulfilled in Jesus. How do we use this psalm? We need to end off. Well, I think we can use this psalm to pray in our crisis, in our struggles, in our tears in our despair it's a psalm we can pray it teaches us to be honest with God but it also teaches us to look back and to look up it teaches us that the God of redemption the God who sent his only son to die on the cross not only died on the cross not only went through the darkness of Good Friday and the darkness of Easter Saturday. But it's the same God who brought us to the light of Easter Sunday. We look back, we have the privilege of hindsight. And we see how the psalmist prayed that God would remember him, that God would rescue him, that God would not abandon his name, his cause, his covenant. We can look back and say God did answer that prayer in Christ. And so our comfort 
is found. Not only by praying this prayer, not only by using this prayer for ourselves, but knowing that Christ was the fulfillment, was the answer to the prayers of the psalmist. Well, let's pray together. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. You can tell God where you are. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that when we read your word, we hear the voice of God. We pray that your word may wash over us, may cleanse us. Your word may fill us. Your word may strengthen us and encourage us to be faithful to Christ for another day, another week. We thank you, Lord, that you are indeed our Heavenly Father, who loves us and cares for us more than we can imagine. And so will you help us to, to turn to you and to trust in you as a trustworthy God. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, thank you so much for being with us during this church at home service we'll be back god willing same place same time next week and do remember to uh, read hebrews chapter one i'll be starting a new series chapter one verse one to four it's looking at the person of christ and uh, i hope you have a good a good day a good week and may god bless you